There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of Yahweh came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Yeshua said, As the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Are we living in the last days, similar to the days of Noah? Listen in as Bonnie Harvey interviews L.A. Marzuli and find out. Everyone, to another edition of Days of Noah. And with me, uh, it is the same very special guest, author, speaker, lecturer, Vicki Joy Anderson. Welcome to the show, Vicki. Thank you, Bonnie. Thank you so much for having me back. I bought your, I bought one of your books. I didn't realize you had more. Would you please uh, give us an idea of where you can be found, Vicki, and how people can get your books? Sure, absolutely. You can find me on VickiJoyAnderson.com. And Vicki is spelled V-I-C-K-I. And if anyone wants to order books or see what shows I'm doing or where I'm going to be, you can go onto that site. You can also contact me, and I'm happy to respond to emails. Uh, the latest book, They Only Come Out at Night, that we've been discussing, that book right now is exclusively only available on lamarzuli.net. So if you go to his website, you can order that. If you find the book on my website and you click order, it's going to just pull you over to his page. So you can eliminate the middleman and just go to lamarzuli.net. You know, uh, after talking with you, of course, we just spent uh, probably the better part of an hour uh, sitting here speaking <laughs> and, and enjoying each other. Um, yes. You know, I, I feel that you were uh, set apart from an early age to go into this mi ministry. You know, has that ever occurred to you, Vicki Joy? Yes, it, you know, it has. And, and I think um, I had various people speaking that um, over me. My entire life. I'll tell you a, a cool little story. When I was born, I spent the first month in the hospital uh, because they kind of really didn't know what to do with me or all that was wrong. And so there was uh, surgeries at 10 days old and various things like that. So um, I spent the first month alone in uh, the hospital. And so when I got home from the hospital, my dad tells me the story that for the first month that I was home, I would scream and cry nonstop. It, it could not be stopped. I would just scream and cry. I was very disturbed, apparently. And he tells a story um, in tears. Uh, it, no matter how many times he's told me, he can't tell me this story without Aww. choking up. That one night, you know, they were kind of at the end of the rope because I would scream all night and nobody in the house could sleep. And my dad came into my room and he stood over my crib and he prayed over me and he dedicated me to God. And he said, father, I know my daughter is going to have a short end of the stick in this life because of the, her, her, you know, disabilities. And cause at that time they didn't really know they were told that I was mentally retarded. They was, they were told that I was blind. They were told that I would only live till I was two years old. They were told that I would never speak my own name, um, that, that I had a, you know, below average IQ and that I would never function. And my my dad said um, that he prayed over my crib and dedicated me to the Lord and said, um, will you overcompensate every loss um, that my daughter is going to experience in her life and fill her instead with with you? And will you use her mightily for your glory? Will you set her apart? And not only do we see now, you know, 50 years later, some of that coming to fruition, but 
Um, my, my dad said that I stopped screaming and did not scream and cry again after that in, you know, obviously I cried, but you know what I mean? That the, the the, whatever was sort of terrorizing me or whatever at that point left. And I believe, you know, people talk about, I prayed to receive Christ when I was, you know, in eighth grade, or I prayed to receive Christ when I was 20. Um, and I can tell you when I prayed to receive Christ, but I, I do believe that the moment Christ came to me yes. was was that moment when when my my earthly father uh, gave possession of, of me and my life and my future over to my heavenly father, that there was a transfer of fatherhood there. And uh, I feel like uh, Jesus has been right next to me every single step of the way. And you are blossoming now to be a warrior and an exposer. Vicki, you know, tell us a little bit about you were you were plagued with um, various uh, lymphomas, li- li- lipomas. Well, so I was born with a birth defect called hypertelorism. And it sounds fancy, but really all it means is that when my face, when the left and the right side of my face fused together in the womb, it uh, it came together incorrectly. So when when it fused together, um, it kind of came together crooked Mm. and it and it didn't kind of come quite together all the way. So when I was born, my eyes were on both sides of my head. I did not have a nose at all. It was just, my mom said it was just kind of two holes in the middle of my face. And then I had a large protrusion of flesh that kind of came out of my forehead, almost like a little second head was coming out of me, right? So um, they they um, they basically started surgeries at 10 days old. There was some exploratory brain surgery to, to see, you know, um, they wanted to remove the large protrusion of flesh off my off my forehead, but they needed to see if like brain tissue was in there. And so they went in there and, you know, did their thing. Um, and, you know, my family has always had a good sense of humor. I think humor can take you through a lot of sorrow. And so my mom used to tell me the story as I got, got older that she said, uh, you had exploratory brain surgery when you were 10 days old and the doctors found nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Praise uh, Father so anyway. for your earthly parents. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So anyway, from 10 days old, um, and I was kind of in and out of the hospital having reconstructive surgeries uh, until I was about 15, 16 years old. And so there was a lot of um, hospital visits, a lot of surgery, a lot of, you know, uh, scariness there, a lot of bullying, a lot of uh, going to school and having to kind of face my peers. And, you know, uh, a lot of times when uh, people hear stories like this, you know, uh, it's interesting to me, Bonnie, I'll I'll be on message boards and I've done a lot of work in my life on a volunteer and a paid basis with uh, the special needs community and worked in group homes and sat on the board of Johnny and Friends for many years and um, been involved in her ministry in various ways. And so I have rubbed shoulders with plenty of disability ministries and churches and uh, families that have gone through that. And it's interesting to me that when you're on message boards online and um, there are atheists and Christians kind of haggling back and forth and doing their apologetics thing, it is always so surprising to me that the ace up an atheist's sleeve to prove that there could not possibly be a God is all of these tragic kind of hopeless, worthless lives that are brought into the into the world, like these kids with uh, special needs and birth defects and deformities. And it, it seems to be that 
being born with a with a deformed face is like the worst possible injustice an atheist can think of. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, you know, the world lives by its eyes. Yes, it, it does. And and let me tell you, you know, I mean, if you've got any atheists listening, let me tell you as someone who's lived for 50 years with a deformed face, guess what? Not so bad. <laughs> it really, <laughs> you know, and I mean, it, it helps, you know, when, you know, I, I did not have any mental or cognitive uh, um, disabilities that went with it. So, you know, I had a shot in life and you know, I, I was able to go to school and, you know, drive a car and get a job and whatnot. But, you know, um, if the worst thing you face in, in a world full of as much, when you look at the potential tragedies that are possible in this life, if the worst thing you undergo is some strangers come up to you in the store and say, insensitively ask you what happened to your face, I, I hear stories every day, Bonnie, of people's lives and the things that they go through. I will take a deformed face any day of the week. I am more than happy if this is the cross I had to bear. It's really not as as bad as, you know, and hey, atheists, I appreciate the empathy you're given, but... <laughs> Um, but to your point, Bonnie, you know, we have to look at the wide angle lens. Yeah, when you're looking at uh, a child who's having surgeries and they're getting teased. Yeah, in the moment, that's really sad. And I have all the empathy in the world for kids who are going through that because I walked that path and I understand that it is difficult. But when you can say 50 years later, I got a thick skin, I can handle criticism, I can handle being mocked, I can handle being disagreed with in a world that has been teaching uh, intolerance and tolerance and hate speech. I can say whatever I want. I'm going to fearlessly preach the gospel. I'm going to speak the truth. I don't care who's hurt. I don't care who's offended. I'm going to be light. I'm going to be salt. I'm going to fulfill my calling. I'm going to have joy. Um, you know, I, I went by my first name, my, my whole life, Bonnie, which is Vicky. And it's been in the last few years that I started going by my, my, my middle name, Vicky Joy, because I told people I, I fought half a century for that joy. I'm claiming it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing it right out in front. Well, that good, good right. for you. I mean, you know, the enemy was helping to grab you and snatch you and defeat mm -hmm. you and defeat your family. But instead, you have turned in uh, to a warrior for the Lord. I mean, that is... Yeah, so I run the gamut. I've sort of broken all of the classic rules of publishing. You know, once mm -hmm. you publish a particular book, you're kind of supposed to stick with that genre and yeah. be known as well. But one of the beauties of the era we live in today with indie publishing and self-publishing is um, without all of the boundaries and rules of, of the publishing world, you can kind of do whatever you want. Yeah. And so um, I've got two poetry books and oh, how I wish that poetry was still in vogue. It's just such a beautiful, emotive, uh, musical, worshipful way to enjoy reading. But I realize it's sort of, you know, fallen by the wayside. But um, I wrote a book called Harps Unhung. It's all 150 of the Psalms rewritten into 150 different genres of poetry. Uh, this was a project that my mother started. She was halfway complete when she died. She had written 75 of the 150. And so I finished the remaining 75. So it's a it's a posthumous joint effort book published with my mom. And someday in eternity, I'll get to tell her she got a book published. <laughs> yes. And um, I the, my second poetry book is called The Weary Wayfarer. It's the Pilgrim's Progress 
um, basically verbatim for, for John Bunyan's work, but I have restyled the whole book into uh, poetry stanzas that rhyme. So it's a much easier read and have kind of turned it into a, a poetry version. And then I have one young adult fiction book for, for teen girls. And then I have, I think three or four, I don't I've lost track. I've got three or four books on um, the LGBTQ movement and community. And they're not really what you would uh, assume, you know, being that I'm a Christian, you'd think, oh, well, that, that that's just trashing them. And uh, the one book, The Emperor's New Gender, it really is an indictment on the church um, that we stand around and we're kind of waiting for the kid in the crowd to say, hey, this guy's naked and we're not going to say anything until someone else speaks up first. And meanwhile, we are losing the culture war. And I just think it is the most unloving thing in the world that we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to our friends and our neighbors and our family and our coworkers. But then when we have the chance to bring uh, love and healing to uh, a group of people that many of them have been broken, they have undergone trauma, yes. they have undergone sexual abuse, and uh, we have the opportunity to share the love of Christ with them and share the gospel with them, and we preach a different gospel to them. It is the most hateful thing in the world. It is so unloving. And so um, I also have written some devotional books for parents who are um, dealing and coping with children who have recently come out of the closet and they don't know how to deal with it. And it's a it's a book. It's a devotional book um, helping parents through that transitional period and learning how to become an intercessor, learning how to be an effective prayer warrior, learning how to continue to love your child without ostracizing them from the truth and from the gospel, leaving that door open. Um, I, I feel like we go to the two extremes. We either accept everything and don't ask questions, or it's the whole tough love you're going to hell in a handbasket. I'm I'm cutting you off. And and there is a different like like Moses. There is a path through the sea on on that issue. And there's hope for for people in in their brokenness over this issue. So um, with the sleep paralysis, Bonnie, whether it's LGBTQ, whether it's sleep paralysis, it's just time that we as the church take control of these narratives and we stop being afraid. And we stop buying into the lie that the gospel is mean or narrow-minded or hateful. The gospel is the good news. And when you withhold it from someone, it's a faith issue. You're basically saying, this isn't good news. This is going to ruin people's lives. Or it's going to ruin my life if I share this. And we have to take control of these narratives. And we have to learn, you know, Jesus was able to confront um, adultery. And he was able to confront prostitution. He was able to confront the worship of false gods. And people on the street, the broken people on the street, the everyday people, they loved him. They followed him. They were his friends. So he had a way of communicating his message where these people were convicted of their sin, but they still loved him. And we have to learn 
what that that formula was and we need to emulate and and walk in in the in the shoes of of our teacher do do you have the opportunity to speak in the churches uh often or much or at all um not really especially about that particular issue because people are terrified of it they are and you know they <sighs> they don't want to be on the front page of the local newspaper they don't want the picketers in the front yard they don't want the bad press they don't want the tithers getting scared away and yeah. so um it's hard to talk on that issue um but i do work um i'm affiliated with a group out of minneapolis called agape first ministries and it is run by a man named nate oilo and his core team of directors are all made up of men and women who have come out of the uh, LGBTQ world. And so these are people who have come to know the Lord and are now preaching the gospel. And they're not doing the whole insensitive, pray away the gay, burning in hell kind of stuff. They are really taking it from the angle of healing from trauma, um, uh, neuroscience and the brain and healing from um, these traumatic events and, and um, coming to grips with the abuse that in many cases is is prevalent. And um, Agape First Ministries, they have they have a website. Um, I'm on staff with them and we do a lot of counseling. And that group, Agape First Ministries, they are getting into the churches and they are doing they have a, a eight hour seminar that they where they go into churches and they train and equip the pastors on how to minister to the broken LGBTQ people that come into the church, whether those people are ready to come out of that community or recognize uh, that behavior is sinful or not, it doesn't matter. There is a, there's a way to love and woo and uh, reach out to those people, no matter where they are in their journey of, of, um, coming or going, you know what I mean? And so um, through Agape First Ministries, I do get to work with that uh, genre of people. And I tell you, I think it's because of the stuff that I went through, Bonnie. Mm -hmm. I I love, they're real, they're authentic. They let you in. They, they don't have these facades, you know, uh, that they're trying to put up. I, my dearest friends that have been broken into a million pieces and God has put back together, and um, so I'm just so happy to be a part of Agape First Ministries and everything that I that I write, you know, whether it's um, people say, well, it's all disjointed. You write about all these different topics, like pick a topic. And the fact is, I have picked a topic. My topic is broken people. My topic is people that the enemy is using as a human shield to forward his agenda. And he's using their brokenness. He's stepping on their necks to get his agenda pushed forward. These are people who've been abused and hurt. These are the same people that Jesus went after. The lepers, the blind, the lame, the widows, the orphans. Jesus said true religion that is pure and undefiled um, are, are the, is when we reach out to, to these people that are broken, the people that no one cares about. So um, my, my ministry, whether it's people who are enduring sleep paralysis um, or it's people who have been broken through trauma and through abuse. Um, those are the people that I want to invest my life and my time and my energy and my tears into praying with and befriending and giving tools and truth and hope and information and biblical knowledge to getting on a healing 
healing path. I think that's going to be so important. I mean, yes, now, but in the future, when our world, if, I mean, when our world does fall apart, we know that it will. And Mm -hmm. so many people will be just bewildered uh broken yes. uh, uh, I, I i can only say i'm i i wish the kingdom had more <laughs> mm. i mm. think what we've been through is is where we will function in the future because we've learned by what we've been through absolutely you know even jesus you know a lot of people nowadays have this this concept of Jesus, like he was just this soft-spoken little hippie almost, you know what I mean? Walking around in long hair and sandals and just, oh, he would never say a word to hurt anyone. And, you know, and we know that Jesus is the, the, the son of the living God, the almighty one, the king of kings. He's coming back on a horse with a sword. He's a warrior. He is strong. He is fearless. He is powerful. But even when he came in the first century as, you know, the shepherd, as the timid one, you know, we have to realize that salvation came through his willingness to be broken. It was brokenness yes. that drew us to him. He he was he was rejected. He was scorned. He was betrayed by friends. He was an outsider. He was misunderstood. He was lonely. He he wept because his message was being ignored, and he ultimately was tortured and killed. And to this day. He is mocked and derided as as someone who is weak and powerless. And so those of us who have been broken, those of us who have carried that cross, um, we are not weak. We are not broken. We are not thrown away. We are we are going through a a a process of refinement. Um, We are in a boot camp. We are learning. If we know how to harness that suffering we've been through, um, we are following in the footsteps of Christ, who was willing to let salvation come through his brokenness. We have, you know, I'm very disturbed because BBC, I think her name was um, uh, Patel, uh, Nina Patel. She is um, a broadcaster on BBC. Uh, she is 28, I believe, or so, is late 20s, but she looks like she's teen, went on Meta. Mm-hmm. And uh, she said that she was, in fact, gang raped and she could feel mm-hmm. it. She could feel she could. It, it, it was not just, you know, a, a three dimensional experience. There was a fourth dimension in there of really mm-hmm. a sensory uh, in places where there were no sensors. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so uh, do you have any experience with this? I'm very concerned about electronics, our young people, uh, where this is going, Get how to get them out. So Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I did some research on this, and it, it I actually had it in the original draft of my book, and I ended up having to pull kind of everything out that didn't explicitly deal with sleep paralysis. Cause I thought if someone is actually dealing with sleep paralysis and they right. want help, they don't want to weed right. through all this other stuff. So, but with a little bit of research I've done, and believe me, there's people out there who've done way more research on this, but um, with, with the, with technology, this is sort of my layman's understanding of what I think technology is. And I want people to understand that I'm, I'm not a technophobe, like not my iPhone. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not one of these people that, you know, doesn't see that, that um, technology can also be used to spread the gospel or to help people or to do good. But 
Um, we know that the enemy who is masquerading as God, but is not God, has limitations. He's not omnipresent. He is not omniscient. And so he needs an infrastructure undergirding him so that he can present himself as God. So how does he come off as omnipresent? You know, big brother, eye in the sky. How does he come off as omniscient? You know, we've got all of this technology where everything's being tracked. Everything's being documented. Everything is, you know, um, is there to be seen and recorded and, and accessed. And so to me, once technology gets into nefarious hands, um, technology is really the infrastructure allows the enemy to, to look like God. And, and he is not because God doesn't need technology. God is God. God can say, let there be light and there is light. He doesn't need silicone. He doesn't need, you know, electricity. He doesn't need um, any of this, uh, of, of these accoutrements to, to back him up. He, he has that power on his own. And so um, the, when when we interact with uh, technology to the degree that it is, you know, well, I, I know we don't really have enough time, but I'm, I'm just yes, he needs the to be next.